Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, and welcome to Rory Sutherland's On Brand, brought to you by Alf Insight. In each episode, we talk to the big names from the world of advertising, marketing and media to dissect and debate success, ingenuity and the future possibilities for our industry. And today I'm delighted to welcome Annie Morris and Johnny Shimin, who are the co-founders of Spoon Cereals, a granola brand that started as an idea at a family barbecue in 2013 and went on to secure investment on Dragon's Den the following year. It's now stocked in supermarkets, food halls and independent shops across the UK. Now, Annie, Johnny, both of you, you launched Spoon as an urban cereal product um, at a time when actually a lot of people probably outside the United States or North America didn't necessarily know what granola was. How did you land on it as an idea and how confident were you that you had a successful product on your hands to begin with? Sure. Hi, hi, Rory. Thank you so much for having us. so Spoon really is built from a personal obsession with breakfast. Um, sounds a bit strange, but I love cereal and have done from a very young age. Um, I used to take it as a snack with me into school. I used to have bowls of cereal at all times of the day um, at uni. And then when I got my first job um, as a creative in a agency in Soho, London, um, it was really the sort of the ritual of breakfast um, as well as the actual product that I loved. So I would kind of customise my bowl with all sorts of cereals, um, mixing them and enjoying them with yoghurt and fresh fruit. And I think one of the reasons I love it so much is that I'm not, ironically, I'm not really a, a morning person. So it gave me that reason to really jump out of bed in the morning. Um, and then at the same time, we were, so this is 2013, um, and we were seeing quite a bit of a shift um, within the food scene in London. Um, and it was more about this sort of unstuffy dining experience that consumers were looking for. Um, and we were seeing these all these sort of hipster street food markets with posh burgers and sourdough pizzas popping up. Um, as well as amazing healthy food cafes um, to go to for lunch. So um, that said, when it came to breakfast, you had really, you only really had like a a prepped, very sugary granola pot or a a pastry to pick up on your way to work. So it was during this time that I had the idea for Spoon, which was to make the breakfast occasion sort of more aspirational and 
provide a better quality bowl that we could serve fresh to people on the go. And that's when I met Johnny and together we launched, we actually launched the brand initially as a pop-up concept with the the vision of um, having our own fixed site somewhere in a central London location where we would capture commuters on their way to work. Um, and when it came to the actual product, though, we it was kind of it was just simply starting out by experimenting with lots of different granola recipes at Johnny's flat. Um, we sourced lots of wholesale um, ingredients that were kind of really high quality. They were organic, um, and then we experimented with lots of different ways to sweeten the the granolas with um, maple syrup. Um, as our chosen sweetener, just because it provided a really lovely, rich, luxurious taste. Um, uh, Johnny has lots of fond memories of um, Canada, which he can tell you about. Um, he has quite a, lot, a link there. So it felt right to use. And um, yeah, arguably it was kind of healthier and a bit more premium than the brands um, on the, the supermarket shelves at the time. Uh, I think in terms of like why we were confident about the product is that also in the early days uh, we were amongst some of the first food and drink startup brands that were launching at the beginning of this global health wave that's really morphed and kind of grown over the last decade and our products were appealing to consumers that wanted to pay a bit more for a better quality healthier alternative food and drink alternative um and on top of this i think we were able to compete with the competition um from a at the beginning it was from a, a visual identity perspective and in particular with our packaging design that was tapping into this sort of um aesthetic of a, a more culturally relevant kind of um lifestyle brands and ultimately we were bringing in a, a younger audience to the category um, and, as, and and sort of standing out against the more rustic, countrified brand leaders um, that, that, that were already out there. No, I mean, what's very clear is the packaging is very distinct. And you're right, most of these uh, brands that you would have been competing with use the kind of imagery of milling and harvest and so forth. And you describe yourself as an urban cereal brand. And the packaging is very distinctive. It's not in colorways that you'd expect in the category necessarily i think i mean you'd also spotted something which is that uh, no one has really worked out before how to fully premiumize breakfast and i think there's something really extraordinary going on actually not only in the food space but also in the drink space and the alcoholics drink space where the uh, growth of kind of artisan provision is really spectacular how, how well did the initial idea go of selling it from pop-ups did that work? Um, yeah, we were we were able to get a really good understanding of our our target audience at the time without having to pay big um, sort of research um, market research agency fees. Um, typically, your your granola muesli buyer in the supermarket was a lot older at that time, um, and I think the sort of the art selling at markets is something that's pretty central to our our brand story and it's really what kind of defines this the, the, the spirit of the brand I think we could have gone down a more generic route of you know developing the product concept um, and finding a manufacturer investing behind the brand right at the beginning and then um, selling into retailers that way but 
we collectively decided that if we were to take the the bootstrapped approach, not only is it less risky from a cost perspective, but um, we were able to kind of um, you know get get our products out there, create a bit of buzz, um, and uh, secure press features off the back of, of, of some of the pop-ups that we've done and then secure some of our, our first stockists. So it's been quite a long, long way to, a, a long route to market, but probably a lot less risky. It's interesting. I think Innocent started at a festival, didn't it? They started selling direct as well. Yeah. And you make a very valid point, which is when you sell direct, you enjoy early stage feedback um, and, and often actually surprising discoveries as to who buys and when which you simply won't learn and won't inform your future activities if you sell conventionally through intermediaries. Johnny, you, you, your background's in investment rather than advertising, and you obviously have a Canadian connection, hence the uh, healthy obsession with maple syrup. Uh, what, what particularly attracted you to the idea? So, well, Annie didn't mention up front, but she's, she's my sister-in-law. So, you know, when, when your sister-in-law asks you to potentially help out with uh, a business idea... You know, it's a li- it's a little bit difficult to to say no, or at least a little bit more complicated. Um, but but as you say, my my background is my mother's Canadian, and so you know, as a child, I was I was uh, we would go over to Canada for the summer holidays and and enjoy maple syrup. And and as part of the development process of of, of the products, um, you know, we we wanted to, as you you talked about premiumization, we wanted to make it premium, we wanted to make it healthier. Um, and so um, maple syrup was incorporated just just naturally because it's a it's a it's a fantastic product, and I think that I was very happy to to to, to get involved because my my background is actually in investment, as you say, but focused on um, food and drink brands. So I worked as an analyst in the city of the the, the likes of Unilever, Nestle, Cadbury, Schweppes, as was. So I had a, a good understanding of, of, of brands and what makes brands work, but from a, a commercial and a financial perspective. Um, and I'd always wanted to, 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 you know, put my money where my mouth was and, and, and have a go. And so when we started developing the products and started getting the initial feedback that we talked about from markets, and it's very honest feedback, you know, you're having a dialogue with people every week at the markets, you're having repeat customers uh tell tell you exactly why what you're doing is great or what you're doing is not great and that was super valuable and i i became very confident that we had a a fantastic product you mentioned the the packaging you know annie from the word go has created uh, a a lovely um, look and feel for the brand uh which reflects what's going on in in the pack uh it's it's simple um it 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 reflects that we're 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 tasty it reflects that we're, we're we're healthy um, and I think that that has been a, a large part of the success. And that's been something from day one that people have, have, have mentioned as, as a standout. And I think that for, for me, what, what, what our, our packaging does and, and the way we talk on our, on our packaging and why I've been confident that this will be a, a, a great business is that uh, it's straightforward and it's honest. And, you know, we've seen uh, cereal brands and lots of other brands and startups in food and drink um, have a go at uh, you know doing uh, what what we are doing, but do it in a slightly different way. Uh, and, and as Annie mentioned, you know develop a, develop a product, secure investment behind it, go large. Um, and we've seen a lot of brands disappear as well. And I think that uh, you know what we uh, fundamentally always come back to is we have we have a great product. We're not we're not a hype train. Uh, people 
don't aren't going to read about us, hear about us, and then get the product and be very disappointed. People are going to get the product, think this is a fantastic, fantastic product. And so that's why um, that early stage was super important for us is to get the product exactly right, understand what people wanted, understand the trends. And, you know, that's something, again, I, I brought and, and Annie brought from a different direction from, from the, 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 the advertising side, you know, understanding trends and understanding what people want going forward um, and being a step, step ahead of the game when it comes to, 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 to what's next um, has, has, has also been something that's been very important for us as a, as a, as a business. It's, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because this trend towards the premiumization of basic things uh, is very, very interesting. You could also say, by the way, I think it's environmentally very, very beneficial that, you know, if you can have increased wealth in society, but where people spend the incremental wealth not on doing more things or having more of the same, but actually in doing the same things better, um, it's something, you know, we can generally hope to encourage, I think. And I, one of the things that really fascinates me, particularly in the food and drink category, is the number of things that have probably failed because they're too cheap. So you have this mindset in manufacturing, which is all about cost reduction. You have a mindset in retail, which is all about discounting or low prices. And actually, what we know from the wine industry is what drives the price of wine people buy is occasion that people feel the need for a special occasion. And on such occasions, a treat is only a treat if it hurts your wallet a little bit. And you see these very interesting things. Peloton is one case where it was largely unsuccessful until they ratcheted the prices up. A fascinating case is uh, British sparkling wine is absolutely fascinating. For as long as it was priced at 8 95 it wasn't going anywhere because it didn't matter how good the wine was. If people could suspect you'd bought it because it was 8 95 not because it was good, it didn't have any signalling value in terms of hospitality. And so I, I see this as, you know, and of course we call it breakfast cereal, but I think one of the things you spotted is that a lot of people eat it at multiple times of the day, don't they, in fact? And particularly, again, if you make it pretty special, the consumption opportunities go up. One thing that is interesting when you are selling from uh, pop-up places, breakfast cereal isn't very portable, okay, by definition. And it's also something we feel really awkward eating in public, isn't it? I don't know why that is, but somehow eating, you know, standing at a street corner with a bowl and a spoon feels goddamn weird in the way that eating a bar wouldn't. How did you how did you actually deal with that? Did you have tables and chairs? Did you how did you serve it? Did, you presumably had to have a choice of milks because you do nowadays. You can't just have milk. How did you solve those problems? The the sort of format of the packaging that we used was um, paper cups similar to the kind of porridge pots that you get on the go. So that was kind of the, the, the format of how we were serving serving the, the, the fresh pots yeah people wouldn't eat in front of us they they it was it was designed for people to to grab and go to take to take to their offices but yes you know I, I think that one thing we, we we realized quite quickly um and one of the things that helped us transition from uh you know being being part of the the, the food service and catering world into into being part of the sort of wholesale ambient retailer world was that people were people were buying packs packs from us to take home, and again, that's back to the you know we, we wouldn't have 
we wouldn't have had that specific learning without getting out there and selling it live face to face to people. And so, you know, people were, were taking a pot to the office, telling their friends about it at work, and they were coming down to buy packs of granola to take home. And that was one of the things that helped us transition. And I don't think yet, by the way, anyone's properly solved the, you know, the portability of, of a, a good wholesome breakfast. And, you know, it's something that has vexed us for a little while. We've, we've got a few ideas as to how we'd like to work on that going forward. Uh, and what we'd like to to present to the world, but I think that's that's a solution that's yet to, yet to happen. I, I know there are these wonderful things out there, which one day someone will find the psychological solution, and it, a lot of it is just feelings of awkwardness, as you say. No one will stand on the street spooning. I, don't ask me why. It's just you know one of those strange things. I often refer to things as being Coke or Dr Pepper. In other words, things that feel completely normal to consume and things that require explanation and justification and make you feel a yeah. bit weird. You know, yeah. and um, you know that I, I I was talking about the funnily enough I was talking about the pandemic and I said the strange thing is that video conferencing or video calling used to be Dr Pepper and now it's Coke. You know, yeah. there's a kind of transition you can make. I've always thought, by the way, anybody in the tea industry who can find a way of getting rid of that hassle with the tea bag, because quite often when I'm on the go, I order coffee, not tea, not because I prefer coffee to tea. I'd honestly rather have a cup of tea, but I can't yeah. be bothered with the faff. And if anybody can solve that problem. Um, uh, People you know, have think... tried. There's, we, we, we saw a startup that, tr that tried that. And I think you're, you're, you're pushing against the huge cultural weight. <laughs> When it comes to the tea bag, people love that ritual, you know, which, which is, which is, you know, again, that's that that way up between convenience and actually the, the the ritual of, of the enjoyment of the product, which is something that breakfast has has, you know, there's a lot of that in breakfast. Do you, uh, I mean, it's interesting actually on your website, uh, which is I, I'll I'll give a good plug here. It's um at spoonserials.com. Is that right? .co.uk. 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 Yeah. That's it. Um, uh, you, you also have quite a few recipes there. And so you're, one of the great advantages of home consumption is people can customise a bit. Because I notice that people always do. Um, uh, there's, a, there's a wonderful uh, comedy sketch by Andy Parsons, the comedian, who makes the point that there's a serving suggestion on shredded wheat that says, taste delicious with strawberries. And he said, that's not really very surprising because strawberries are delicious. He said, I've never bought a punnet of strawberries and it has on it, serving suggestion, taste great with shredded wheat. Okay. <laughs> the reverse doesn't really apply. Um, but, there, you know, uh, the other thing is multiple, as you said, multiple times a day. David Ogilvy, the founder of Ogilvy, was famously cranky and would demand um, Post's grape nuts, which is also a favourite breakfast yep. cereal of mine, once described as the most Protestant of all breakfast cereals by a Catholic <laughs> friend of mine, which is the idea that you really shouldn't enjoy yourself, but it's OK to consume some nourishment yeah. in a highly puritanical form. I love it, actually. David Ogilvy would ask for this at dinner. He'd go to a he'd go to a kind of Michelin star wow. restaurant, demand a bowl of grape nuts. But um, uh, th this kind of it thing sounds is, like our perfect customer. It'd be your perfect customer. Yeah. Every moment was a consumption opportunity, I think, mm. with him. Um, you decided to go to the Dragon's Den. Now, for the benefit of people listening outside the UK, they may know that as Shark Tank. Uh, it's a programme format that's pretty much taken off in Canada, the United States, I know. Why, given your connections with the investment world, why did you go to the, the Dragon's Den for funding? Well, it's it was a very easy way to, to raise awareness. You yeah. know, there, there's, there's, there's lots of very difficult ways to raise awareness, but putting your face in front of 4 million viewers, which is around what, what Dragon's Den has in the UK, and quite a lot more when it repeats 
uh, you know, and also in countries like Australia, New Zealand, South Africa also get it. We got weird spikes in geographical traffic on our website at certain times afterwards based off of that. But it was a tight, it was a, a decision primarily to, to, to raise awareness. Um, and the, the other thing was because we did it so early in our journey at, at the time we were a concept and, you know, we were still developing our thinking and pretty much doing it part time. And so we hadn't uh, actually settled into uh, into into doing that doing the work full time uh, on on Spoon as a business. And what we pitched to the Dragons was Annie and myself to build the business and to take the business wholesale. So that was the moment uh, that we uh, pitched that idea, and um, we went in, uh, you know with positive sort of positive attitude to to it and and to securing investment but we we weren't sure whether we were going to do it but actually uh when peter and 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 deborah peter jones and deborah meaden uh offered to come on board uh we were actually very happy to 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 you know it was it was we gave away quite a chunk of equity for for quite a small amount of money but uh they did succeed uh in in helping us open doors and given that neither of us had had background um in uh in retail or or in actually in the operational side of of the business we thought that those those doors would be would be very helpful and and they were um you know peter helped us uh in securing a sainsbury's listing you know i think our products did quite a good um job of that as well given that they won great taste awards and and you know we're receiving fantastic customer feedback but uh, peter helped us with that he gave us office space um deborah was very active in uh helping out with 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 the business so it was an active decision to to to, to raise awareness uh that helped us out um a tremendous amount in the in the early years um obviously they both have experience in in building up uh brands in the fmcg space and uh, that experience was, uh, you know, then uh, directed into into Spoon. And um, given the background that Annie and I had, we felt we were very complimentary, which is why we uh, we actually accepted accepted their offer. No, but I mean it, it, it's a very congratulatory uh, comment here, but I don't think I've seen Deborah Meaden ever invest in anything. So it's quite a, <laughs> quite an impressive thing that you managed to secure her along with Peter. She's she's she was fantastically helpful and and very active um, in in her involvement. Um, I should say just uh, you know for, for for the record they're they're no longer involved in the in the business now. Um, after a few years of them um, being invested, we took the decision to to, to buy them out of the business um, and you know take 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 back that equity piece that that we. Um, we sold to them, and that was all done in a, in a, in a very amicable way, and a way that uh, was was acceptable to all parties. And we wanted to take the business forward. Um, so, you know, they, they they played a very important uh, role in uh, the fa- building the foundations and the and the roots of what what we have now. But they haven't been involved now for about for about three years. Just just sort of to to, to make sure that everyone's clear clear on that. But as you say, it's a fantastic way of reaching millions of people very very fast. And I Absolutely. think I think we uh, I think we're in danger of entirely uh, with, with the obsession in marketing of, of micro targeting and hyper targeting and uh, measurement. We're missing the value of just fame, familiarity and fame. 
Uh, and also the belief not only that you're aware of something, but that other people are aware of it. In other words, that, uh, you know, you give a product a certain degree of talkability as well. Uh, those things are much more valuable. They're harder to measure, but that doesn't make them any less valuable. And I think we've become obsessed with quantification to a point where it's starting to distort business activity. Do you, how do you promote yourselves currently? So your distribution is sort of Accardo, a Waitrose, Selfridges Food Hall. You've started fairly much at the top end of the market. Makes perfect sense. Do you do any particular promotion with, for example, Accardo? Because it strikes me that actually these um, online food delivery um, businesses are quite helpful to innovation in the sense that they don't have the usual shelf constraints that conventional supermarkets do. A conventional supermarket will always have to take you at the expense of some other brand, whereas conceivably yep. a Cardo can effectively just add you to your repertoire and they, they there's no opportunity cost, if you like. So yep. um, did you find a Cardo particularly receptive? Do you do any... Because one thing that drives me nuts, by the way, about a Cardo, if, if there's anybody from a Cardo listening, why they don't allow you to search by great taste award winners on the site? So I don't, you know, uh, you, we, yeah, you we, know. we do a, we do a lot with Ocado. Um and as you say, the the, the benefit of Ocado to a small brand like us is that there's there's not too much risk to to them as a business by having a much broader range. Um, and so we we got a listing with Ocado early, um, and at the time we were very cash constrained as a business. We've we've gone through various periods of 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 uh, you know uh, cash constraints, and one of the periods that 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 coincided with was our launch in Ocado. So we didn't spend much money with them to, to begin with. Um, and as a result, we grew quite, quite slowly. Uh, but they, the, 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 the work when you can do it together with them on the trade side is very, very effective. Um, and so in the last 24 months, last two years, um, we've, 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 we've put quite a bit of our resources into, into growing our presence on Ocado. And um, the uh, targeting of search terms and, and the, the, the advertising that you can, can do in terms of the banners uh, is actually very, very effective. Um, and so we have uh, actually seen fantastic growth in, in our business on Ocado. And I think, think, think part of that is, is also the fact that, um, you know, we can do stuff together with other brands to raise awareness as well. So you can have a lovely little bundle deal. We had uh, last month a bundle deal with uh, a load of other startup brands um, in honey space, peanut butter space, bread space. Just create a little breakfast bundle, and you know, then 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 you've got actually a very cheap way um, of of, of cre creating awareness over and above just the, the the presence on the site. So there's there's lots of nice innovative things you can do that would be very difficult in a traditional retailer uh, to to organise just from a, from a physical space point of view. And so we've we've had a lot of su success uh, uh, doing that so far with Ocado, and they're a, they're a great customer of ours. I, I mean, I love those bundles in the sense that they allow you to actually promote without avert discounting so you're not actually yeah. changing the price of what you're what you're charging but you're simply giving people a kind of multi-buy offer uh, across several categories and the other Absolutely. great advantage with the cardo i always think is they can spot what products really engender loyalty and uh, you know it personally it drove me insane yeah. when sainsbury's delisted collier's cheddar cheese because my hunch would be <laughs> um if if you're a welsh cheese connoisseur uh, you might be it, it may sell to comparatively few people, but to those few people, it's a staple. 
Now, the great point about stocking those things is not necessarily for their overall value, but the contribution they make to the person's propensity to visit. And a cardo obviously can enjoy a huge advantage through niche products. In other words, if only 3% of your customers have a culty relationship with a particular brand and they can only find that brand on a cardo, it's going to drive quite a lot of, you know, uh, regularity of purchase. And, you know, theoretically, at least, I think um, loyalty cards should uh, um, make that explicit. But I'm not sure it's always used in that way. Um, you know, there are things that a lot of people buy occasionally and there are things that a few people buy a hell of a lot. Um, I remember talking to um, uh, marketing director of Tesco. Um, what was his name? Mason. I was going to say James Mason. But he's an actor. But 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 um, uh, he, he made a very interesting point that they looked at their... Um, their free, what you might call the free from range, the range that was suitable for people with, say, celiac disease, gluten intolerance, veganism, etc. And they realised the same thing about that, that not many people bought it. But for the people who did, it was almost a reason to go to Sainsbury's. So the category value shouldn't have been the delineator. It's really the effect it has on wider behaviour that you need to... Fa this is, again, a, a danger with ever more kind of, um, uh, you know, disaggregated measurement that you actually start obsessing about the value of the parts rather than the, the you know, the, the value of the sum. And, um, but so, I mean, I, I must say, I, I, I generally, the other thing is I suspect on, on a cardo, and actually that's true of click and collect when I go to Sainsbury's, that you shop in a fundamentally different way. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You know, you can yeah. throw, you know, and the opportunity, by the way, to cross sell is really quite magical. You know, you can recommend complimentary goods to go with. You know, if someone buys hot dogs, you can suggest, you know, the, um, uh, uh, the, the brioche rolls that go with it and so on. But this exactly. is and the, the other from from a from a small brand perspective. The, the other thing that makes Ocado great um, 
is 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 the data because it lets us see exactly how we are performing uh, relative to 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 other brands in our sector and 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 even individual product lines based on certain metrics. Uh, loyalty is, is is one of those that you mentioned. So it, it allows us to to put out a fantastic case study. And you talked about the fact that we've focused on being uh you know we're relatively limited in our distribution and and we tried to do that deliberately uh we've had a restrained growth objective um to 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 put a halo on 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 what we're doing we've just actually just launched um over into to migros in switzerland which is the joint market leader over there uh, largely based on on you know sort of the halo that we put on the, the brand and the business here they see the high quality of what we're doing and and you know that some of the data that we are um, able to look at from Ocado around customer loyalty around which brands uh, we outperform and it would be very surprising uh, to you to see some of the the, the, the individual products that we outperform um, and it allows us to now make that push um, in, in into into the, uh, the 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 broader the broader space and the, and, and the bigger boys um, knowing uh, with full confidence that there will be success. For uh, for certain of our, our products, based off what they've achieved, so that's a huge advantage to to, to working with Ocado. And I would encourage any smaller brands that um, you know are potentially listening to this uh, to, to to invest in the data and, and and look at exactly how they're performing, because it it will hopefully give you fantastic ammunition to go out to the wider world. So, what are your what are your plans next? I mean, you've established, I think. You know, great authenticity. You've established very, very clear distribution in premium spaces. Uh, do you plan to expand internationally first? Do you plan to expand distribution in the UK? Uh, range extensions? What, without giving away any trade secrets, what, what, what's in the pipeline? I think one of the, the big challenges for us um, at Spoon has been getting our establishing the, the production strategy and getting that right. Um, I think it's one of the big challenges that any food and drink startup um, will face, especially if you've got founders who don't come from an operational background. Um, so that that side of the business has taken us quite a lot of time to get off the ground. And we've what we've seen is during that time, lots of new players have entered this the health and wellness industry. Um, and so I think another big challenge we're currently facing is this element of Sort of really rising up to our challenger brand to a challenger brand status, and by that I mean I think there's more work to be done um, to make the exact sort of nature of our brand identity and belief system really more evident to the consumer. Um, I actually recently read a quote you might know this, Rory, um, which was that success means never letting the competition define you. Instead, you have to define yourself based on a point of view you care deeply about. And, I thought that really sort of resonated with me. And I think that that said, as a, as a brand that exists to make breakfast better, we, we feel that Spoon is really well positioned to address the, the sort of unhealthy state of the cereal industry with not just we've got lots of new product developments that, that are doing that, um, but also at a high level, really is that we're trying to think about what our brand belief um, really is, um, which we have always known sort of internally um, and that is that health is not a, a sort of one size fits all and that it, it needn't be bland or boring or restrictive um, and that we think that sort of breakfast the breakfast occasion is a great place to start in changing this consumer perception um, so that that's one project that we're, we're, we're currently working on but um, 
in terms of product and markets, we're we're looking at um, yeah entering new 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 categories within breakfast, um, and really answering kind of further leaning into our commitment to provide the consumer with with a healthier healthier product as well as something that's tasty. Yeah, just because because granola is a, a relatively small part of the overall market. You know, um, when you look down the cereal aisle, it's a it's a long aisle. There's a lot of space there uh, with a lot of different products, and I think that for us, you know, we we've been a patient brand, and and as I hopefully we've we've um, you know got across, we we're, we're an honest brand. We're not about you know being being a hype trainer, a star that burns very brightly uh, and then implodes on itself. Um, and so we have been working patiently behind the scenes on 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 the next steps, and and we are. Also, a business that has has basically, I think, you know, established now a nice, deep, complex root system from which hopefully we can we can grow very tall. And I think that the issue that we're trying to solve, as Annie mentioned, is is the problem of eating a better breakfast. We we have a reasonably a reasonably simple purpose. We want to help people to solve that problem, and it's not about you know what what we want. It's about helping people do that and from their own perspective we, we we want to make honest products that we hope resonate with people to help them with their own their own goals and i think that you know we put what we believe into our products but we want to to, to help the consumers um you know to, to to solve things uh for for themselves and i think that our the products that we launch will 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 reflect that and we'll reflect um the, the try to give people a, a an additional healthier choice down the breakfast cereal aisle uh where wh- whichever product category that that specific product category that that might be in but that's the overall aim for the business um whether that takes us internationally as well um you know hopefully <clears throat> migros is, is off to a, a great start for us uh, and we'll certainly be investing behind that but i think you know the business will remain largely U- uk focused for now it's extremely interesting. I mean, t- taking on the Swiss in their home market, if you like, the people <laughs> who originated muesli uh, yeah. is, uh, uh, is is really rather interesting. But I mean, uh, you, you've also invested, I think, in sustainable packaging or particularly the, the liner. Is that right? You took a decision to invest in um, uh, a cleaner form of, uh, of containment. Yeah, I, I always... Um... We, we, as I, as I mentioned, we, we, we are an honest brand that, uh, and we try to do what we, we say on the tin. And when we talk about sustainability, we, we've been particularly disappointed uh, with uh, efforts from others in the category, uh, and, and you know, also sometimes um, from, from, from other brands that talk a fantastic game and don't deliver it. And uh, you know, I remember a, a specific story for me, and I, I, I won't mention the two brands' names, but they're both clothing brands, and I ordered from them slightly different times. And coincidentally, the orders arrived on the same day at my house. One is one is a UK-based business. Um, one is a, a US-based business, but very global. And both of them talk fantastic, uh, fantastic sustainability story and about protection of the environment. And they're, they're very much about the outdoors and being in the environment. And therefore, why would you not want to protect it and do all you can? And one of these, one of the the, the, the packages arrived. It was a beautiful um it was, it was a, a beautiful paper package, all branded inside. Wonderful story, little card talking about exactly how to, you know, uh, why the packaging was was biodegradable, what they were what they were doing uh, as a whole. And I, 
there was no deceit involved in opening that package. The other package, I'd you know, I'd heard a great brand story, um, and I fully bought into the brand. Arrived, plastic everywhere, um, you know, bubble bubble lined paper, no story, nothing branded, uh, just literally as if someone had, had, had in a warehouse thrown it into the back. And and I, I felt deceived as a consumer. And and one of these, the UK business, I am still a customer of the US based business. I haven't actually bought anything. And this was two years ago. I haven't actually bought anything from that brand, even though I, I love them. I love what they sound like they're about. But but I, I felt deceived. And and what we want to be is is honest and straightforward. So we, we moved into compostable packaging and it was what we wanted to do. It wasn't actually the, the technology of the liner wasn't there yet. So we moved back into that, into a fully recyclable inner. But we are, as I say, trying to do our best and we explain this to people in our newsletter on the website on the packaging where we can and all that all that this u.s company needed to do for me and it was explained to me in in a, in a whatsapp group i'm in um that potentially you know the plastic was the best was the best thing to do yeah. uh, for the environment for various reasons it's complicated i understand that it's complicated all they needed to do was put a little insert in explaining why they used it and why it fitted with their overall messaging um, and then there wouldn't have been a deceit. I would have understood, but they didn't do that. So what we're trying to do is we're making these moves, and but we want to be straightforward about it. It's a very interesting thing, which is nearly always in e-commerce companies, marketing has no control whatsoever over logistics and distribution mm. or packaging in many cases. And this is quite disturbing because well, I mean, if there's anybody from Amazon listening, OK, there are occasions when I pay an extra pound to have you deliver the damn thing by Royal Mail. OK, which is it's an SD card. It's something that weighs three grams at most. OK, or less. OK. And the postman's coming to my door anyway. I know what time he arrives. If it doesn't arrive tomorrow, well, I know it'll be there by one o'clock the following day. And I don't have to hover in all day in the expectation that a large van may turn up. And I don't want my house to turn into a kind of, you know, distribution hub with, you know, vans reversing, you know, every three hours. And the ability just occasionally to consolidate three or four purchases with the same, uh, the same courier, in this case, Royal Mail, would actually be pretty valuable to me. And yet, no one is given any choice because the whole thing is all about volume discounts and, and, and uh, you know, the efficiency idea, not customer preference. Yeah. And so I think there's something really important there, which is that marketers have this area where which has a huge effect on customer experience, but over which they often have absolutely no control whatsoever. And, it's about you know, the disconnect, though, isn't it? It's about the disconnect and the yeah, expectation. And, and, you know, if... If if there, there there was a disconnect, if someone had acknowledged that within the business, I would have been fine as a consumer, uh, you know, absolutely. And so I think one of the benefits of being a small business is we do not have that disconnect. You know, what what uh, what the stuff we talk about, Annie, myself, and Sophie works in, in 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 operations for us and our warehouse and the manufacturing guys. We all know exactly what's going on in every aspect of the business, um, and so. You know, a lovely example that, that Annie initiated was um, we've, we started selling a mixed case online. And rather than uh, have a, a, a new case designed and made, um, we actually just repurposed our old cases. And we just wrote on, on some, some tape that we've repurposed. And, you know, apologies if it's got a few, a few dings and dents in it. But the tape explains the story. You've got a, a cinnamon and pecan granola case, but it's actually got five different uh, of our products in it. 
And I think that's just a, a lovely little example of, of how you can get over that disconnect. You know, people people think, oh, they've sent me the wrong thing. Oh, no, it's actually just their repurpose and packaging. So, so you're right. The story determines the perception, not the reality. Um, we we exactly. had a lovely example of this where, you know, occasionally British gas people would turn up late uh, to a boiler servicing appointment. Now, the actual reason was they have a policy which is if there's a, for example, a single mum or an elderly person whose heating has broken down, they give them priority, quite rightly. But they weren't telling the people who are inconvenienced that this was the reason. Now, you know, if, if your British gas guy turns up to service your boiler two hours late and says, I'm terribly sorry I'm late, I had an emergency call to a pensioner in Bromley, I would have to be an absolute certified arsehole to get angry about that, <laughs> right? OK, I'm going to go, no, no, of course, that's fine. You know, absolutely. I, I wouldn't want you to do anything else. But quite often they would just say, I'm terribly sorry I'm going to be late without telling the reason behind it. And as a result, you get anger when you should get, actually, if anything, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, additional satisfaction, I would argue. Most people, I think, feel slightly good not being angry about something which is reasonable. You know, yeah, I, I think there's an, you know, an emotional response there, which is often completely missed. Um I've got to ask this question, I suppose. Uh, premium breakfast cereals, how now? OK, not as many people are working from home as we like to think, but nonetheless, a large number of people are now working flexibly, which has probably changed their relationship with breakfast as a meal, making it a bit less time constrained. How did that affect kind of sales? Did you enjoy, you know, generally uh, were pandemic sales up? Do you think, in other words, people were putting more emphasis on this or were people going to the opposite extreme and cooking eggs benedict from scratch? <laughs> um, well, what happened to breakfast during the pandemic? Breakfast cereals um, sales rose significantly during the, during the pandemic. It was it was uh, one of the things that people were, were, were taking off the shelves alongside alongside the loo roll and the pasta and the flour. Um, exactly for the reasons that you say, people, rather than having to grab their prep breakfast pot or their you know, granola bar. Um, they were they had time at home to to enjoy it, and you know, take take their spoon cereals and layer it up with their strawberries and bananas and and, and what have you. So, like all of the breakfast brands, we we grew last year significantly. Um, but uh, the 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 sort of corresponding uh, effect um, also where it was it was a negative effect on smaller businesses is that people return to brands that they knew and loved the the, the the big boys and what we've seen is that the the, the whole category was was uplifted uh, um in uh, lifted up in uh, in 2020 and has you know returned basically to to the big boys experiencing uh, not much growth uh, this year whereas smaller brands like us have continued to to to, to grow and, and and benefit so i think you know the the way uh we have sort of explained to people in the past was it was a, a, a very a uh, cheap way of getting a lot of free, free, free trial, uh, free awareness, um, because you know, for us potentially, when people couldn't get a a Kellogg's or a Nestle product, they they picked up a pack of spoon, whereas they might not have done in the past. So we got a lot of free trial, and we are as a result seeing um, continued growth of our customer base. Whereas um, as the, the the normal has returned, um, the the larger guys, and you see this coming through in the data. Um, it's actually have, have settled back down to the regular pattern of it being a pretty stable stable category but but we're continuing to to, to, to benefit from 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 the uh, initial growth that we saw in the pandemic which is which has been great and we're very thankful for that and as you said if your loyalty figures of which Ocado reveals are good uh, then trial is uh, 
in and of itself pretty beneficial. Um, that I think that's Absolutely. really important. I mean, actually, the, the, I remember reading one interesting uh, sort of, uh, I think it was a history of Coca-Cola by a man called Prendergast, which I, I'd recommend quite heavily. But they said that for the Coca-Cola company and for Wrigley's chewing gum, uh, World War Two was effectively a glorious global sampling exercise. Now, yeah. I don't think that was the intention, but as a, you know, there are always these peculiar side effects and unintended consequences. And... Um, this is in, but your point about the flights to established familiar brands is also, you know, well established. Someone was describing to me the ethnography of the banking category, and they said that the way it's emerging is that you have the bank you trust and the bank you like. You have one traditional bank account, and you have one bank account with a kind of uh, uh, fintech, uh, you know, yeah. startup. And you pay a salary into the bank you trust, but you actually do all the fun stuff with the bank you like. Yeah. And um, I think I think that divide is, is is you know is is really really interesting. I mean, I've got to ask this just for any entrepreneur listening. But uh, Annie, you know, I'd be interested to know your take on this as well. Were there moments where you just despaired or thought this is hopeless? We've come up against an unstoppable obstacle, or what? Uh, you know, if you like, what was the you know I suppose the, you know what was the greatest hurdle you ultimately faced, or was there a point where you felt like packing it all in and going back to the advertising industry? Um, yeah, I mean, I think with any food and drink, or any startup, sorry, you, you have extreme highs and, and, and lots more extreme lows. Um, <laughs> but um, I would say one of the big highs for us was um, at, the, at the beginning launching into Sainsbury's. Um, but with that, it, it really brought about um, lots of challenges as we weren't really ready um we had just been on dragon's den and at the time we were making everything in-house um it was johnny and myself running the business we were we were doing everything ourselves so making the granola we were running pop-ups we were supplying into local delis with my car um (laughs) driving delivering them ourselves um and it was really, really knackering. Um, and then suddenly we've sort of catapulted into this FMCG world um, and speaking to, to the big buyers of, of one of the top, like all of the all of the top uh, four supermarkets in the UK. Um, and so, yeah, I think we learned the hard way, really. I think you really, we didn't have a team and you need uh, a solid, uh, you know, you need resource and, and, and a helping hand to kind of really support your listings. Um, and it's not, it's not rocket science. Um, it, it's pretty straightforward. But I think with neither of us having that sort of, that FMCG background, um, it was very much about sort of learning on the go. Um, so I think that that's one of the big challenges I touched on before about our finding production partner. Um, that that that's been another a big challenge for us, and and and, and getting that right. Um, it, it's taken us a long time, and I think both Johnny and I would both agree that we would have liked to be um, a little bit further ahead to where we are now in terms of um, size and, and revenue. But you know it. You, it's. I think it's a. In a way, it's a benefit because we've got so much learning under our belts now, and and we feel like we're in a really good position to kind of really drive the business forward now. Um, so it, it is yeah. the great entrepreneurs 
curse, which is you can never control timing. I mean, in a perfect world, you might have been on Dragon's Den a year later, but you can't. Re- there are always those aspects of timing that you can't control. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we went when we were on Dragon's Den. We we it would have been amazing to have a listing in Sainsbury's at that time, um, but we were just we had a very small presence online. So our, our, we had a big spike on our online sales, which was great. Um, but yeah, so if we'd gone on to Dragon's Den a little bit later, that probably would have been more beneficial in terms of sales. But you would, without wanting everybody at WPP to up sticks and start their own food brand, you would recommend it as a move. You're glad you did it. To go on Dragon's Den? No, no, well, just generally starting, you know, starting a business, leaving the world of, uh, uh, of wage slavery and starting your own <laughs> business. You generally recommend the experience? A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I think you, um, there's a certain like, I don't know, I think you have to have that sort of, I know it sounds really cliched, but like a lot of determination um, and a lot of, there's a lot of sacrifice. So I I feel like I sacrificed my, (laughs) my twenties, basically. I, 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 yeah, I rarely kind of, you know, went out that much with friends, um, uh, and when I did, it was just a massive blowout because <laughs> I hadn't been out for so long. Um, uh, so yeah, it's but it's been amazing at the same time. I think the 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 reward you get from it, that that feeling of um, putting in so much hard work, and then when things go your way, it's it's very satisfying. I always I always think about it as the difference between like the short term wins which you have in a career, you know, the promotion, the bonus, the the team trips, all of that stuff that you look forward to in the short term. We, we can't really play that game. We have to be very patient. It's a, it's a long-term game. And, you know, as uh, you know, if, if you, if you keep chasing rainbows, you never find the gold. And, and so if we uh, are patient and do the right things as we, we, we talked about uh, and we're honest and we create trust, there will be the gold at the end of the rainbow, but we're just going to have to wait quite a while. Um, so, you know, I think anyone, anyone uh, who's looking to do their own thing uh, needs, as Annie said, a lot of determination, absolutely a lot of patience um, and, and, you know, needs to, needs to know that it's, it's, it's long term. And the challenges that you mentioned, you know, the struggles, they are daily, weekly, all the time. Um, and so, you, you know, you're constantly facing, facing adversity in a, in a very different way to, to the corporate world. So, um, if you can, if you can um, be sure that that th- those things are things that you're happy with in your life, then it's absolutely a recommended way to go. But uh, but you know, patience, I think, is is the key key virtue that you need to possess. I'm also really impressed with people that go it alone. Um, so sole founders, um, I have always been <laughs> since my my whole career. I've been in a partnership. So I had um, uh, a female creative partner. And then we went through a very upsetting breakup um, when when I left the industry. And then, um, yeah, I, I, I could not do it on my own. Um, I think there's there's like you know pros and cons for whatever decision you make. But and you know Johnny and I have gone through lots of sort of ups and downs, and it's 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 difficult to you know we try and separate family time and and, and business as, as much as we can. But inevitably, that sort of there's a lot of crossover. Um, so, but yeah, ultimately, I, I I take my hat off basically to to people that 
start up on their own and, and have to do, you know, they don't have that sounding board. So when someone's feeling a bit... I know. And also, also you enjoy very complementary skills. One of you comes from the world of investment. The other one comes from the world of branding. Um, it's difficult to find in one place someone who can do all of those things. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, and uh, you know, it becomes actually, you know, conceivably it becomes impossible at some level, which is why companies become larger and create departments. But um, it's a, it is a really, really interesting question that I agree with you that someone doing that on their own requires something which I, I could never muster, I think. I, I, it would just be impossible for me to try and go alone on something like that. Um, uh, apart from anything else, I've got, you know, far too many weak spots which would need filling in. But that's a, that's a fantastically encouraging note on which to end. I'd just like to say, Annie and Johnny, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. And just remains for me to say that that's all for this episode of On Brand. Uh, the podcast is brought to you by Alf Insight. And for more information on powering your business growth, visit their website at alfinsight.com. That's alfinsight.com. The series is produced and edited by Ultimate Sound and Vision, and they do an excellent job of it every time. And to make sure you receive the next episode, please do subscribe. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard, then give us a like. So thank you enormously for listening, and here's to next time. Thank you very much indeed. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.